worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. We have something kind of unusual today. We have a... Um a JR poll question today that was suggested by a listener. Um, you know, I come up with these questions. Been doing it for years. There's been a poll question on this show going back to like the 1980s, believe it or not. But um, I just uh, had a. I was listening to the Jack Chat calls, which we will hear later on. Right, right, Don Cooper. We have those coming up, right? Yes. And um, Terry. Terry, if you're listening, you had a, you had a suggestion for a poll question. I thought I'm just doing that today, so I'll tell you what it is coming up. That's our JR poll today, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Also, um, I, I guess I haven't. I don't think I've said anything about this uh, yet. But um, tomorrow will be the last live show for for a week. Uh, I won't be here next week, but we will have a guest host for part of the week and the most special programming. Over Thanksgiving and on Friday, I don't really know what it is because they don't tell me. Look, you don't expect, look, they don't tell me what they're doing here when I'm here. So you don't expect them to tell me what they're doing when I'm not here. I don't ask, they don't tell, I've stopped asking, you know how it is. It's like one of those long relationships where, you know, you just, a lot is left. I've been in a long relationship with KTSA and a lot is left unsaid and it seems to work pretty well that way. You know, we're like one of those couples not not a lot has to be said but we're still together you know it's is that a terrible anal- that's a terrible analogy isn't it i'm sorry i said that um there's so many places we could start today um i will tell you and i'm very excited about it in about uh 25 minutes uh, alan dershowitz will be back on our show for the first time in a long time long time harvard law professor he's got a new book out um he's got a lot to say about what's going on uh, with Israel and uh, Hamas and the <clears throat> pro-Palestinian uprising in this country. And uh, interested to hear from him. That'll be uh, coming up here in about 25 minutes. Let me start with this. Um, there was a um, SWAT incident in Austin on Veterans Day that you probably remember hearing about in the news. It, it, it led to the death of an Austin police officer uh, and others. A search warrant was being served. And it was one of those situations that we see in the news so often where law enforcement just did not realize what they were walking into. And when they went to this location in North Austin, they ran into a guy that was basically fighting a war. Uh, he was all armored up and multiple weapons. And um, it turns out that the guy that killed the police officer was on the terrorist watch list. And I don't know about you, but this is the kind of thing you just get tired of hearing it, frankly. Every time something happens, the person was on the watch list, the person was on our radar. And it's like, why have the watch list if you're never doing anything about it. Um, 
But four people are dead, including an Austin police officer. And this week in Congress, Christopher Ray testified about the fact that they are now greatly concerned about the threat of an attack on Americans in the United States by Hamas. And that doesn't come as a surprise to anyone that's been following the news. And I think I said this yesterday. If you're Hamas and you're trying to eliminate Jews, the second greatest concentration of Jews in the world is in the United States. So, of course, we are a battlefield for them. And they will have soldiers here. But the question is, is this the same Christopher Ray? Is this the same FBI that has been warning about domestic terrorists who are white supremacists and Trump supporters and take an interest in their school board meetings? And is it not ridiculous on its face, that the FBI is publicly pivoting to the threat of foreign-inspired terrorism on our soil? Like, where have you been? And how distracted have you been? Away from the things that you should be focused on. And we heard a lot of big talk after 9-11 about how uh, the walls had come down, and there had been reform, and dots would be connected, see something, say something. I don't know. I mean, I, it sounds to me like what happened in Austin on Veterans Day was probably the aversion of an attack. Like, it, it, had they not found this guy in this house and this stash of weapons, this looks like it was something that was eventually going to lead to an attack. I don't know if it would have been in Austin or somewhere else. It's just up the road. But we have a posture from our federal government that is more concerned about a truck driver who won't get a, a, a vaccine than about people that could be cooking up explosives, uh, chemical or biological weapons. Now, I'm not saying, and I don't want to sound like I'm saying, that nobody knows anything about this but Jack Riccardi. I, I'm, I'm not saying that. And I certainly know that the FBI is not Christopher Ray. Christopher Ray is the director of the FBI. I'm, I'm sure in their 36,000 employees, there are people working on Hamas terrorism and breaking up cells and infiltrating and listening and all of that. But you should be publicly presenting, or presenting to the public, rather, your main mission right now is there's a war going on in the Middle East in which America is at least nominally standing with Israel. And anyone that is standing with Israel, anyone that is identified with, allying with Israel, is viewed by Israel's enemies as a, as a combatant. So we're in that war. And this house in North Austin is a reminder of that. We're going to talk about that. 210-599-5555. You remember Randy Weingarten, the head of the uh, American Federation of Teachers? I was reading an article last night, uh, which I had I had missed this because I don't follow her on X, but um, she had posted, um, she's become a big-time uh, Palestinian sympathizer. 
and she's just outrageous and disgusting in the stuff that she's uh, been posting. And you might ask, well, what would that have to do with being the head of the teachers' union? And the answer is absolutely freaking nothing, but she does anyway. But expect Randy Weingarten to be on the wrong side of just about anything. So she's she's been uh, bloviating about the Palestinian plight, and she tweeted out a picture of a worship service at a Jewish synagogue, and in the picture it's all men, praying, and her caption was, where are the women? And the answer is that traditional prayer is segregated between men and women, and has been for thousands of years. Mark Levin was one of the first to call her on this and put a community note on her. You're such a contemptible moron. Get off my timeline, you idiot, said Mark Levin. I can hear him. Can you hear his voice saying that? (laughs) I would love to hear him say that. But that's what he wrote. And she's getting lit up by all kinds of people. Um, This is the head of the teachers' union. This is a teacher. Didn't know. This is a a woman who's married. Uh, Her wife is a rabbi. Didn't know that the in the services the prayer is segregated. She just thought she was making a really cool point. Here's another one. Um, I was reading David Strom at HotAir.com, and he was writing about Elizabeth Spires, who's an editor at Tablet and the co-founder of Gawker and a bunch of other things. She's a progressive media person. She's a contributing writer at the New York Times. She has a podcast on Slate. Um, So she's got quite the resume. She's a journalist with a capital J. She's been a columnist at Fast Company and Fortune. She's had uh, guest columns published in the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Daily Beast, GQ, the New Republic. And she did not know that Hamas runs the Gaza Health Ministry. She tweeted out, Maybe I'm being coy, but why do you think the Gaza Health Ministry is Hamas? And she got lit up for that. She did not know. She claimed she did not know. She thought that it was a conspiracy theory that Hamas is running things in Gaza. And so here's my question, and we we talked about this a little bit yesterday. And I want to ask Alan Dershowitz this when we get him on, and I want to ask you this right now at 210-599-5555. Are we surrounded by people who are actually, intentionally siding with the terrorists? Or are we surrounded by people who are dummies and are just siding with their friends like they're all following you know how you you know how you have what are those animals the lemmings they all they all run, they all run along in a group and each of them none of them is looking ahead all of them is looking at the hindquarters of the lemming in front of them and they've been known to run right off of cliffs and run right off the sides of mountains and run right into bodies of water because they're only looking at the lemming in front of them Are we surrounded by people right now that are basically intellectual lemmings? 
Like this is, I'm not saying there isn't any anti-Semitism. I know there is, but I'm really starting to think that this is just idiots siding with other idiots, following other idiots, reading other idiots, friending other idiots. Because these are supposed to be learned people. Randy Weingarten and Elizabeth Spires shouldn't be this dumb. I, I mean, they could be dumb, but they shouldn't be this dumb. I don't, by the way, think that everybody who disagrees with me is dumb. I don't think that you're dumb because you have a different opinion from me. But if you don't know basic stuff and you're bragging about it, that is a special kind of stupid. Like, it's okay not to know if you say I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know anything about soccer. It doesn't make me dumb because I admit I don't know anything about soccer. But if I started having opinions about it and not knowing anything, then I would sound dumb and I would be. Um, who, what is going on here, do you think? I mean, like, how much, assuming it's a ratio, how much of this is actual hatred of the Jews and embrace of the Palestinians or of, of Hamas, and how much of it is just people that really figure, well, I, I read this person or I follow this person, and I always agree with him or her, so I guess I'm, I guess I'm with him or her on this too. You know, like... There are people like that. I agree. I just agree with everything so and so says, or I, I always read so and so. I always listen to so and so. Whatever he or she says, I'm with. I'm with them on that. Because if it isn't a lot of that, then we have an even bigger problem. But I, I wonder how much of it is just like following the taillights of the car in front of you. Uh, and and so a lot of what's happened is misinformation and and um you know incorrect premises have been spread i mean one for example is that um you know we hear people say israel is a colonialist power or it's an occupier of uh, gaza before october 7th there were no israeli soldiers in gaza there was no uh israeli military presence in gaza not a single one none i mean there is now obviously because they were attacked and they've gone in there to go after their attackers and the means with which they were attacked. But but there was no occupation. And they, the, the people living in Gaza were living under a government nominally of their own choosing. And this idea that they had to do what they did because they were occupied is literally the opposite of the truth. They are now being occupied because of what they did or was done in their name. So what do you think about that? 210-599-5555. We're going to start with that and your calls. And uh, Professor Dershowitz will join the show. We'll talk about uh, Joe Biden's meeting with uh, the Chinese president and many other things. We've got a 1978 Top 10 coming up as well. Poll question today, powered by River City Oral Surgery. Uh, Terry in San Antonio, said, why don't you ask who would be most likely to win the general election of the Republican candidates, this means. Uh, who would be the most likely to win the general election? So not who is your candidate, but who would be the most likely to win the general election among Trump, Ramaswamy, Haley, DeSantis, or Christie. And um, thank you for that, Terry. Um, 
You can vote at KTSA.com or when you call the show at 210-599-5555. There happens to be a new uh, Fox News poll about that very uh, question, um, and we're asking it. And uh, Jaime is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA to get us started. Jaime, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. It's not that it's not that they're dumb or nothing. It's the problem. That's that's the consequences of our education system. They've actually taught this, and they forgot to teach about history, or they they haven't forgot about history. They just don't teach it no more. I mean, they they all this stuff that's being said. All that's what they believe. They 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 actually don't realize that we went to war for twenty years over an attack on our nation, and we didn't sit back. We went straight into it to 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 try to save face or come back and say, hey, you did this to us, we're going back. It's the same thing with, with Israel. Israel was attacked. They didn't. They weren't in there. They weren't fighting. Yeah, they'll get rockets in here. They, they, they showed a lot of restraint when there was rockets being, you know, uh, shot at them. They actually built a, a dome to protect themselves instead of having to fight back all the time. They would be precise about their retaliation. No, they came in and killed their, their citizens. For mm-hmm. no reason at all other than that. Mm-hmm. The, the reason they did it is because Israel gave them land, so they're like, oh, well, we want more. I mean, that land did not was not there. Israel settled. Nobody wanted the Palestinians anywhere in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So Israel says, you know what? We're going to place you here. Let's just live together in peace. And they mm-hmm. choose not to live in peace. They want to be like, oh, we're being occupied. They were never occupied until this mm-hmm. happened. If they would have minded mean- their own business and gone about their days. Yep. Great, great take, Jaime. I, I agree with all of that. Um, I want to go back to the first thing you said, though. You said it's not that they're stupid or dumb; it's that they haven't been taught history. And basically, that that seems to be true. What would that not seem, though, to be intentional? Like, I don't think they yeah. forgot to teach history, or they ran out of time before the bell rang. I, I feel like the the absence of historical literacy is part of the big plan to make low-information voters well, who will fall for the same, you know, shuck and jive over and over again. Like, you don't want people that can think critically or compare what you're doing now to history because they'll throw these bums out in both parties. I think ignorant yeah, voters well, are part of the plan. Well, I mean, think about this. It's happening in our own city right now. They're trying to change the narrative of the Alamo. They're trying to, to celebrate the Spanish soldiers that were actually killing, uh, killing the people around them. That's what caused everything that was going right. on. But, but do you see what, what I'm saying is? What I'm there. saying is there's a there's a, me- a method to the madness. You you don't leave out the history, the teaching of history, just randomly. Um, you no. do that so that people will not have a context or a background by yeah. which to judge exactly. and vote. And and I and so yeah, I, I think you make. A lot of great points, but your first one was really the best one, which is that if you don't know that there have been Jews in that little strip of land for thousands of years, and I, I forget who said it, um, and it's a really profound uh, observation. I, I wish I'll, I'll look up and see who said this, but somebody recently pointed out that Israel might be the only country in the world that has been that has had the same. Um, you know, basically the same group of people or lineage of people with the same religion, worshiping the same God for thousands of years continuously. There's no other place on earth that has that kind of 
continuity on the same piece of land. So it's not a, a question of, uh, I mean, it is a question, I should say, of knowing the history. And if you don't know it, then you're very suggestible by the lemming in front of you. Where the lemming in front of you is going is where you will also go. Um, we are joined now on the KTSA Kinetico Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line by, I, I'm going to say, uh, whether it embarrasses him or not, I think one of our greatest living Americans. He's a longtime Harvard Law professor uh, and the author of a new book called War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism, which is what we're going to talk about right now with Alan Dershowitz. Professor, it's great to have you back. Uh, good afternoon to you. Well, thanks. You know, you may think well of me, but uh, be- after I defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate, um, <laughs> almost none of my friends have talked to me. The 92nd Street Y canceled me. Temple Emanuel canceled me. Uh, Harvard University hasn't allowed me to come back and, yeah. speak, uh, and make the case for Israel. You know, it's uh, as you know, Harvard University got ranked the worst university in the united states on free speech and i can i can attest to that so i appreciate your having me on well i think you've i think you uh can wear those um newly found opponents with uh with with pride um (laughs) i by way of uh, setting up this question i grew up in newton massachusetts which i'm sure you know uh, well sure um so i had a lot of jewish playmates and friends and neighbors all through my life um I saw in the news this morning that uh, Hamas supporters were blocking traffic in Boston, blocking the bridges, blocking yeah. the, the, yeah. the freeways. I saw where the city of North Andover, Massachusetts, which is a beautiful suburb of Boston, well. yeah. Yeah. is flying the Palestinian flag on the town common. Yeah. What, you, you mentioned Harvard. I mean... What is going on? I don't, I don't recognize the place that I spent the first half of my life. What is going on up there? Well, first of all, this has nothing to do with a ceasefire. This has nothing to do with what's going on in Gaza. Absolutely nothing. How do I know that? Because it started on October 8th before is, Israel fired a single shot. It, the attack on the 7th, where we now know multiple women were raped, had their breasts cut off, women were gang raped, handed from terrorist to terrorist. There's now video of all of that that uh, the Israeli government has, has produced. It was on CNN just 15, 20 minutes ago. And, and uh, organizations like the National Lawyers Guild, thousands of lawyers in every law school in the country praise these Hamas rapes and murders and kidnappings and burning of children and beheading of women. The National Lawyers Guild praised it, said it was a, a good, appropriate military action. Um, 33 groups at Harvard appraised and said, if anything was wrong, it was all Israel's fault. These are Hitler's youth. This is a modern variation of what happened in the 1930s when 100,000 Americans marched down 2nd Avenue in New York doing Heil Hitler and, and Hitler salutes when Oxford University pledged not to oppose Germany, mm-hmm. when Yale students said the same. When Harvard welcomed Nazis to the United States and sent a delegation to a university that has just fired, fired all of its Jewish professors, there's been an undercurrent of this kind of uh, anti-Israel uh, attitudes. Now, for example, as this is all going on, there's a war going on in Darfur where many, many more people have been murdered. Completely racial war. Nobody cares. There's not a single mm. effort to get a ceasefire. 
But because it's Israel, it's nothing to do with the Palestinians. If the Palestinians were oppressed by the Turks or the Syrians or the Jordanians, as they had been, nobody would notice. But it's because they are allegedly oppressed by um, Israel, by the nation state of the Jewish people, that's where all the focus is. So this is pure, unmitigated anti-Semitism. You can disguise it as anti-Zionism. You can talk about ceasefires. If there were a ceasefire tomorrow, and if every single soldier from the IDF left and went home and surrendered to Hamas, these protests would still go on because they're only about the nation state of the well, Jewish people. And to, and to your point, I, I was just saying this before we brought you on, and to your point, before October 7th, there wasn't a single Israeli soldier in Gaza. There, there, right. there was a, there were two states. Israel pragmatically was permitting and and going along with that plan, thinking that was the best of a, of a bunch of bad yeah. choices, tolerating the occasional rocket attack, putting up the Iron Dome to to hopefully uh, inhibit those. Att- I mean, so all mm-hmm. the stuff they claim should be the case was the case before October seventh except in the eyes of people like Barack Obama, who said that uh, the occupation was unbearable. Uh, well, it was unbearable. It was not because of Israel. They didn't occupy Gaza. It was because of, of Hamas. And uh, Obama knows, because I know he's been there. You go to places in the West Bank, like Ramallah, the most beautiful city in all of Israel. Um, it's uh, the capital of the Palestinian Authority. It has beautiful restaurants. I've been there. I've had dinner with the prime minister, uh, met the the, the uh, president of the Palestinian Authority. People drive Mercedes. They have Rolexes. They have uh, very high-tech stores. That's not an occupation. The places that are occupied are pe- places like Janine, where are the heartland of terrorism, where they mm-hmm. send people to kill Israelis. So you know, what What Israel is doing is what the United States did after the Second World War. They occupied Japan, they occupied Germany, until it had become denazified. And uh, Israel's fondest hope is that, it, is that Gaza becomes denazified. Today's Nazis, of course, are Hamas. Um, but uh, it's, not, it's not happening, which is why, as I write in my book, uh, The um, uh, a War Against the Jews, I actually started writing it on the day this happened, on October 7th. I put everything down, and I wrote, I wrote it in 30 days. Uh, three things have to happen for the world to be protected against terrorism, because otherwise it's coming here to the United States. Number one, Hamas has to be uh, defeated. Uh, number two, Iran has to be punished for this, and I think destroying their nuclear reactor would be the most appropriate punishment. Number three, the Saudis have to make peace with Israel and say to the to the uh, Hamas, you know, it didn't work. We know you attacked Israel. In order to get Israel to attack you so that there would be a breakdown in the, communi- in the communications between um, Israel and, and, and Jordan, and that has to not be rewarded. So if those three things happen, uh, you know, the world will be safe from terrorism. Otherwise, it's coming here. And these kids from Harvard, you know, these, these 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 25-year-olds, they're going to join the terrorists as they did in the 1970s when terrorists from the weathermen were trying to blow up the University of Wisconsin, trying to blow up a, uh, an American air, American army base at Fort Dix. We had terrorism, and we're going to see a renewal of 9-11, uh, both people coming in through the pretty porous borders down south and people who are already here who are fifth columnists. So 
we're in for some terrorism. This is just a coming attraction. It's coming to a theater near you. How do we, uh, I, I, I agree with your three conditions that must be met, but how do we deal with, uh, a generation or generations that are both ignorant of the history and are sort of lemming-like following one another along this uh, pro-Hamas pathway. Because, yeah. you know, you mentioned like the Oxford Union kids in England, but a few years later they were fighting in the RAF and they were, you know, uh, right. Right. They, they, they came to their senses uh, rather abruptly uh, through events. What happens this time? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's hard to know what happens. <laughs> there could be terrorism. Uh, remember, these are the same kids who are on TikTok today glorifying Osama bin Laden's letter. It's become viral. Um, his letter to Americans in which she justifies terrorism. And uh, these kids are saying, you know, Osama bin Laden was right. So, you know, you scratch somebody who's anti-Israel just a little bit and you find somebody who's anti-American, anti the Judeo-Christian tradition, anti-Western democracies, and that's what's happening to our kids. You know, these demonstrations are led by groups called the Social Democrats of America. They're not social democrats. They're not democ socialists. They're communists. Uh, they're hard left. The National Lawyers Guild was a communist front organization. And when Hitler made his pact with Stalin, the National Lawyers Guild, claiming to be left, supported Hitler. Uh, so, you know, these are people who have taken their views from foreign countries now they're taking their instructions from Iran, from China, from uh, still from Russia in some respects, and uh, uh, they are lemmings, and they just mm. follow. And, and you can't excuse them just because they're kids. Kids brought the Ayatollah Khomeini to power. Kids brought Stalin to power. Kids brought Hitler to power. Munich yeah. is where it started at the university. So you have to take these kids, my students at Harvard, very yeah. seriously. They are evil. They are not just misguided kids. They are evil people, and they are, they are causing death, and you cannot give them a pass. If they were caught committing plagiarism, they would be thrown out of the school. They can't make an excuse saying, oh, we're only 25 years old or 22 years old. We're misguided. No. And what about the National Lawyers Guild? These are adults who are representing clients. Would you want to be represented by somebody who is a member of the Ku Klux Klan and who advocates the lynching of blacks? No. And that's what these people are advocating. Mm. They're advocating the lynching of Jews, the raping, the beheading. And I wouldn't want to be represented by one of them. I would never, ever urge one of my clients ever to get a lawyer from the National Lawyers Guild. Is there a, a lever or a leverage that, that can be brought against these universities to force them to do the right thing? You see a few glimmers yeah. of them starting to rethink, right? But, but it's very few. Well, they're not rethinking. They're just reacting to people who are cutting off their donations. Cutting off their but money, yesterday, yeah. A major, law, a major law firm filed a lawsuit um, against um, a New York University, an 82-page lawsuit, which is very, very substantial. And, of course, the Secretary of Education has said they cut off funding from schools that uh, discriminate against Jews. So something's being done, and... It's about time universities react. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it out of concern to their pocketbook and their endowments. I think you mentioned Barack Obama. You, you, you have a long history with, with him. What is your relationship with him now? Very negative. Uh, I have a long history with him. I think he's an utter hypocrite. And uh, after these events of October 7th, he basically compared, on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, these rapes, murders, and... Uh, and kidnappings to 
Israel's occupation of the Gaza, but there's no occupation of the Gaza. It ended in 2005, and uh, he made a disgusting comparison. So I've broken off my relationship with him. Uh, John Podoritz, I don't know if you know who he is, editor at sure, Commentary Magazine, conservative writer. Sure. He just got booted off of X for basically saying that mainstream uh, journalists, in quotes, are carrying water for Hamas. He's right, isn't he's he? Right. He's right. He's 100% right. I've said that. Let him boot me off, too, because I've said that you couldn't have this. What They call, they call themselves the CNN strategy. You kill Jews in Israel. Then Israel has to try to stop the rockets and the terrorists in the tunnels. It, you plant these um, terrorists among civilians, and inevitably some civilians will die, and they count on the media showing the pictures of the dead babies without explaining that every one of those dead babies is the legal, moral, political responsibility of Hamas. So uh, you're, he's absolutely right that uh, the media is largely responsible for the repetition of this CNN strategy or this dead baby strategy, which will recur over and over again. Hamas's uh, motto is wash, rinse, repeat. And they've already said they're going to do it again. They said October yeah. 7th will become October 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th. And it's true. And that's why a call for a ceasefire will actually cause more deaths than continuing the fighting will. If Israel is allowed to destroy Hamas, that will save lives. You know, gr growing up with a lot of Jewish friends and, and, and celebrating their holidays and having them celebrate yeah. my holidays as a Catholic, and we had the, we had school holidays on the high holidays and all this, I never thought I would see a time when we would be telling young Jewish boys and girls to not wear the yarmulke. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, 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 what would you say about that? Well, it's so interesting. About 10 years ago, I was invited to speak at the French National Assembly, and that was a time of very heightened anti-Semitism. So I decided I would wear a kippah, I would wear a yarmulke, just to show I wasn't afraid. The chief rabbi called me the next day and said, you did a terrible thing. I said, why? He said, well, you're going to be able to go home tomorrow, but my congregants, if they wear a yarmulke, they're going to get beaten up. So you should not tell them to do that. And he was 100% right, and I've never done it again. Um, look, when I came to Harvard, my first civil liberties issue was to attack Harvard for being anti-Catholic. Uh, at the time I came in 64, if you were an ethnic Catholic, um, Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic, you could not uh, get a job there. You could not be treated equally. Um, law firms wouldn't hire you except Catholic law firms. There was a segregated system. And so, you know, Jews and Catholics have worked together for a long time because different periods of time we were both subject to rampant discrimination. And, uh, you know, I thought it was over. And I, I hope it is. But uh, it's reared its ugly head again. Do you think uh, Jewish Americans should hide their identity or wear it proudly? No, 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 no. I go out every single day wearing an I support uh, Israel button. I wear a tie that has the Hebrew letters high. I I'm, I'm too old to be scared. I'm 85 years old, so um, I'm going to continue to to do that and continue to proudly assert uh, my Jewish identity and um, and encourage others to do it as well. I understand if you don't want to, but um, I think showing bravery in the face of um, this kind of hatred is 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 essential and and not not hiding your identity. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well, look, uh, it's been an honor to share this time with you. I wish you good luck with the new book, War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism. Professor Alan Dershowitz, thank you. Oh, thank you so much.
As you know, we are pulling into the home stretch for Rapping with Jack. Basically, let me just lay it out for you. We got about two more weeks now. Basically, to whatever we're going to have, donations, donated gifts, it either happens in the next two weeks or we or we don't have them. We don't get them. Because we're wrapping them on December 6th, and that's when we have to have whatever we're going to be able to provide uh, for these families. And as you know, our commitment is uh, a gift wrapped with the person's name for each member of each family served by Family Service Association. So it's hundreds of families. It's thousands of men, women, and children here in San Antonio. I'm asking you to please help me do that by going to KTSA.com. You can give money right there. You can shop an online wish list with Amazon, and it's easy to do. And you can also buy items. You can see some of the items we need. Buy them yourself, drop them with our sponsors, or bring them with you on December 6th. We'll be out of Blue Bonnet Palace in Selma. It's all presented by Quarter Moon, along with River City Oral Surgery, Institute for Functional Health, and Copenhagen Imports. All the details on Wrapping with Jack are at KTSA.com. Have you been following the George Santos case? you know who he is? George Santos is a freshman Republican congressman from, I think, Long Island or somewhere in New York, and he was part of that group of, I think, four seats that the Republicans flipped uh, in 2022. But he's the guy who subsequently we have found out virtually every single thing in his biography is a lie. Um, He's got all these weird quirks and secrets. and So it's not only that he misrepresented himself in terms of his background and his makeup, but he also just seems to be kind of a weird and he even looks like when I when I see him, I, I think of that woman that flipped out on the plane. Remember the woman that was screaming, "That guy's not real." <laughs> Remember her? Like to me, George Santos is not real. He looks like a Saturday Night Live character. He looks he looks like a made up character for laughs for comedy. He wears like bizarre color colors, and he's just a weird acting looking. Di- so they're they're having the vote in Congress on whether he should be expelled. And, you know, normally I would say um, my, my take on most of these things with Congress is, first of all, how, how do members of Congress decide which of them should be there? Hello. <laughs> Talk about where, would you, where do you begin with people that are unfit? But um, I, normally I, I say leave it to the voters. Let the voters... If if they want to keep this clown, they can have him. You know, look at the look at the voters that have elected uh, the squad, uh, Presley and Omar and AOC and Jamal Bowman. And if those voters want those people, uh, you know, let them have them. But I don't know. In this case, maybe he should go. Maybe George Santos should go, or whoever he is. Um, I I wasn't going to watch it, and it was supposed to actually happen during our show yesterday, and we would have probably wound up carrying some of it if it had happened on time, but the president was delayed over an hour uh, coming out to do his post, his news conference after his meeting with uh, Chinese dictator Xi Jinping. So finally, when Biden came out, it was after we had gone off the air, and I, I had the TV on, and I decided to just watch it. Did you see it? Did you see Biden? Don Cooper, did you see it yesterday? Uh, just a little bit. Just a little. I'm going to. I know we've played a lot of clips over the years, and we've belabored the point that this man is not healthy, that there's something wrong. 
But this was really in a, in its own, I don't know if you felt this way, Don. I felt like this was in its own category of of bad. Um, <laughs> he looked very, very ill and confused. Well, he, he looked uncomfortable, is what he to me, just, mm-hmm. and very mm-hmm. awkward. Yeah. It just, um, but um, and, and he's still and, doing the thing where he pulls out the list of of he acts as if he is under someone's orders for how to conduct. We've never had a president do this. Presidents um, generally like to act like they are in charge of their own news conferences. Joe Biden acts like he's an employee and a low-level one, in an organization that is having a news conference. Cut number three. Uh, now I'd like to be able to take some questions, if I may. And I'm told that Dimitri of the Financial Times has the first question. Mm. Um, just doing my job here. <laughs> just, just doing what I'm told, what I'm told to do. Um, so he's got his... So, so presumably, if you've got a pre-selected list of questions, there is also foreknowledge of the questions themselves. And so there would then be prepared answers. So if that's true, how is he doing with these answers to questions that are written for him and to questions that he knows and they know are coming. Cut number four. In Gaza has killed more than 11,000 Palestinians just over a month and created a humanitarian disaster. Israeli officials have said this work months or even years. Have you communicated to Prime Minister Netanyahu any sort of deadline or time frame for how long you are willing to support Israel in this operation? Are you comfortable with the operation going on indefinitely? And is there any deal underway to free us? Thank you. Yes, no, working backwards, forward. Look, I have uh, been deeply involved in moving on the uh, hostage negotiation. Um, And uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself here because I don't know what's happened in the last four hours. But uh, I have... uh, We've gotten great uh, cooperation from the Qataris. Uh, I've spoken with them as well a number of times. I think the pause and that Israeli, that Israelis have agreed to, it's down to, well, I'm getting too much detail. I, I know, Mr. Secretary, I'm going to stop. The, uh, but I am, I am mildly hopeful. I'm mildly hopeful. Um, I don't believe that he's had no idea what's going on in the last four hours, although maybe he's had no idea what's going on in the last two and a half years. But, I mean, seriously, that's a weird thing to say. Like, I, because I've been in meetings, I have no idea what's going on in the biggest flashpoint in the world right now. And, by the way, Israel rejected the U.N. call for a humanitarian pause. So I don't know what he's talking about when he refers to the pause that the Israelis have agreed to. And I guess he was getting, I don't know, the the stink eye or something from Anthony Blinken because um, that he makes that reference to, sorry, Mr. Secretary, I know I'm saying too much, or I'll stop now. D- does he work for them, or do they work for him? See, I, I think he works for them. I think he's a guy that is allowed to uh, act, perform as 
president by the people that are actually running the show, that were riding in the belly of the Trojan horse named Joe Biden in, in 2020. And and then at the end of the news conference, and, and by the way, you can hear somebody kind of say, hey, everybody, it's over, like they give him the, the gong, basically. And then he stands there and mumbles uh, some more, cut number five. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that is based on a form of government totally different than ours. Anyway, it may Isn't it? I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, overthinking this. I, isn't it kind of important... The, the part that sort of gets tacked on there at the end, is he a dictator? Well, yeah, he's a dictator. Uh, <laughs> they're a communist country. Uh, that's their system. Why is that not, like, front and center? That, that's a fairly substantial, like, that underpins everything. You're meeting with them. You're negotiating with them. You're talking about how we're going to work with them. But he's a dictator. And... I wonder if that was even like off script because something tells me they didn't want him to say that. Like that sounds mm -hmm. like that would not be the official line. Like I don't even know. Has that been walked back today? Do you know, Don? No, they I, walked that back I don't today? think so. But you're absolutely right. That when I was mentioning the fact that he looked uncomfortable and, and somewhat awkward, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact is he's following a script that has been yes. given to him yeah. and he's walking that walk. And he, Joe Biden, the old Joe Biden knew full well that the Chinese, uh, every single Chinese head of state since 1949 has been a dictator. Uh, that he, he knows that, but you can tell that he's, he feels weird saying it. Well, if we can't even say that, what are we doing here? You know, first of all, we cleaned up San Francisco for this guy like we are, you know, getting ready for a first date. Then you had all these morons in the street cheering him on. Did you see the footage of that? Did you see the people in San Francisco? I don't know if they were real citizens, uh, if they were trucked in, if this was all state. I, I have no idea, but there were people cheering his limousine and, and holding big red banners with Chinese um, characters painted on them. My, my understanding I, I like, and what, what I've read is that these are, have been paid uh, people to do all of this. Yes. <laughs> they have been paid like to be out there out of the a flags. movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, I mean, I remember when, do you remember when Gorbachev came over and there were people cheering him? Him and Reagan were in a limo and the limo stopped and Gorbachev and Reagan get out and they're shaking hands with people. I think this was in Washington, D.C. And yeah, there were people applauding because remember, Gorbachev was, we were relieved with Gorbachev. Like, oh, thank God, we're not going to have a nuclear war and this guy's a little bit different and it, it, he presaged what eventually became the end of uh, communist rule in, in the then Soviet Union. And, you know, Reagan was giving him like the, you know, we can work with this guy thing. But I don't know. I mean, whatever, whatever just happened, 
in San Francisco, California, cannot be good. A man as addled and lost as Joe Biden, even if he is just nominally leading those negotiations, that cannot be good. Leaving them alone for any length of time cannot be good. Uh, his pronouncements and, and packaging of this, and then sort of the, oh, by the way, yeah, he's a, he's a communist dictator. I mean, I thought it was on an, uh, it was kind of in its own category. For all the years we've played stumbling, fumbling, bumbling audio, this was kind of the worst. Um, I, I don't know how anyone, however pro loyal Democrat you are, you can tell me if you want. Well, Jack, he's not really in charge. We know that. I'll, I'll respect that. But if you're still making the argument that he's the president, literally the president, um, I, I have no respect for you. You're, you're, you're talking gibberish and you're insulting our intelligence. <clears throat> We've talked about this before on the show. They're, they're, um, they're still working on this uh, bill. The legislature is still working on this bill which would give um, local law enforcement the power to, if they, if they came across someone who was in the country illegally, to detain them and let, uh, you know, bring them, bring them to a, a courtroom and, and have a hearing, and Texas would essentially have a deportation process of its own. So right now, deportation is a federal uh, function, and in, in nominally, you know, immigration itself is a federal function. And in any normal time, that would be the end of the discussion. We would maybe disagree about what the policy should be, but everybody would agree that the federal government should be the one doing it. Well, now, of course, it's not normal, because now the federal government has not only openly, you know, sort of abdicated, but there is a crisis of numerical uh gravity right there's just there's there's an onslaught and so something that you wouldn't have ever thought about is being thought about and it's this this local police arrest and so forth i i gather the objection to it from people that object to it which is mostly democrats and some republicans and correct me if if you think i've got this wrong but it seems like the chief objection to it is that it will catch up or it will um, become a, a nuisance or even a, a violation of people who are in the country legally but are being profiled as if they were illegals. So in other words, you're, you're going about your business, but because of the way you look or because of somebody's sizing you up, and we all get sized up, right? People look at us and they make assumptions about us, and a lot of times we don't even know they're doing it, right? You're out somewhere, you don't even know somebody's looking at you. So the, the, the objection is that people will get profiled, like, like law-abiding, legal citizen Texans will get stopped and um, hassled, and um, that's why we can't do this, that's why we can't have this. I think there's some other objections, but that seems to be the biggest, the biggest one. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. My response to that would be, well, if that is your concern, 
that you don't want your fellow Americans who might look like they're from Mexico or Central America or wherever, or maybe they are from there lineage-wise, to be stopped and questioned and what, then you should be raising your voice, demanding that the federal government enforce the border so that conditions do not deteriorate within this country. In other words, your objection should be to a state of affairs that makes this debate necessary. This is why we're having this discussion. I think another, probably another uh, pitfall to this is going to be that I don't think a lot of police chiefs and police departments will want any part of this. You know that, for example, Chief McManus will want no part of this, and he'll say we're not going to do it. Um, so I, I think what's what's really happened, basically, is Texas politicians like Greg Abbott and a lot of the Republicans in the legislature are pulling down off the shelf every idea that anyone's ever had for anything that Texas can do in lieu of the federal government doing what it's supposed to do, right? And this is an idea that's imperfect and maybe has flaws, but this is one of their ideas. And it doesn't sound to me like it violates due process. Like you would still have a, you would still have a hearing and, um, no one who should not be deported would be deported. And probably very few people would be deported. But what I think has really brought this about, so you can, if you, if you don't like it, you can, you can say, well, I don't like this Republican idea. But what's really brought this about is the, is the choice of the Democratic Party to abdicate on enforcing immigration law and enforcing the border if they do their job they're in power okay they they have the power and if they do their job we're not having this discussion and um if you if you are really put out by the idea of local law enforcement making these arrests and then turning people over to a criminal justice proceeding for adjudication, then I think what you're really saying is you don't want immigration law enforced. You can say, "Well, I don't think the state should be doing," but you're really saying, "I don't, I don't want this. I don't want this done. I want to keep things the way they are." I mean, prove me wrong on that. Music. Top 10 board. We'll start with number 10. We're in the uh, year 1978. This week in 1978, the news was full of the resignation of the Shah of Iran. The Jonestown Massacre. Remember that? In sports... The National League MVP was Dave Parker of the Pittsburgh Pirates, the AL MVP Jim Rice of the Boston Red Sox. And in our top ten this week, a lot of disco and soft rock and one literally hard rock record, one hard hit. Let's start at number ten this week in 1978 from a show business family 
In Montgomery, Alabama, Tony Tennille with the captain. Never done it like that. The captain and Tennille at number 10 this week. Uh, Tony Tennille and the late Daryl Dragon. Captain and Tennille. Moving up six to number nine this week is the platinum follow-up to his big hit Year of the Cat a couple of years earlier. It's Al Stewart and Time Passages. about songwriting about 10 years ago he says don't use words that other people use he says i never use oh baby i miss you bad sad says if it's already been written why write it again and al stewart says i think of songs as cinema it's oral cinema i want to show you a movie when i'm playing a song al stewart and time passages the song at number eight this week is a disco classic she was 12 when she had her own radio program in Shelby, North Carolina, the Alicia Bridges Show. And here she is with I Love the Nightlife. hard to imagine this now, but Alicia Bridges has said that she originally wanted this to be an R&B kind of slow, soft song. She said something like Al Green would sing. I can't, I can't hear that now, but that was the original idea. The producer got hold of it. Disco was hot. He saw the potential for it as a club hit. And I love the nightlife. Disco round. Alicia Bridges is at number eight this week. One of the first white artists to perform on Soul Train is the artist at number seven this week, Gino Vanelli, the singer and jazz man from Canada with I Just Want to Stop. probably seem kind of random but whenever i hear gino vanelli i always think of the old fujia japanese restaurant in wurzbach there was an autographed uh like publicity photo of gino vanelli 
at that restaurant for years and years and years. I used to see it every time I would go in. So anyway, that's my Gino Vanelli memory. I just want to stop. Seventh biggest hit this week in 1978. You talk about big hits. The next song on our top ten moved from number 37 to number six just in this week alone. It's the R&B band Chic and La Freak. The uh, reference in the song to come down to 54 is, of course, a reference to Studio 54, the legendary New York City nightclub. According to uh, Niall Rogers and Bernard Edwards of Chic, uh, the genesis of this song, on New Year's Eve 1977, they had been invited to Studio 54 by Grace Jones, but she didn't tell the guys at the front door, and so Niles and Bernard were denied entry. And it led to the... See, if they had let him in, we wouldn't have had this song. Le Freak by Chic, which has been... Um, which spent a total of six weeks at number one. Six non-consecutive weeks at number one. And this week is at number six in 1978. Now, the song at number five is Anne Murray. First recorded by her in 1978. But it had been around for uh, other artists before her. She kind of made a comeback with this song. It's Anne Murray and You Needed Me. To face the world Out on my own again You put me high Upon a pedestal So high that I could almost see eternity You needed me Anne Murray is quoted as saying that she was not surprised by what a big hit this became because she broke down in tears the first few times she tried to sing it herself. Number five, You Needed Me by Anne Murray. The song at number four is a song that radio really can take the credit for, and I'll explain in a minute, but first, it's Neil Diamond and Barbara Streisand and You Don't Bring Me Flowers. So the year before, in 1977, Neil Diamond put this song on an album where he sings it alone, and then... In 1978, Barbara Streisand comes out with her album Songbird, also features this song, Singing It Alone. There were people at radio stations that were splicing the two versions together, creating unofficial duets. The first guy that did it at WAKY in Louisville, Kentucky, Gary Guthrie, did it as a going-away present to his wife, who he was in the process of divorcing. He spliced together a duet and gave it to her. 
Then it started getting radio airplay, and eventually the record company decided they liked the way these two sounded, but instead of playing the spliced versions, uh, Columbia Records had Streisand and Diamond record a brand new official studio duet. And that's what you're hearing with You Don't Bring Me Flowers this week at number four. At number three, uh, this week in 1978, Ambrosia lead singer David Pack lost his wife Stacy to breast cancer this spring and has founded a foundation in her honor, the Stacy Pack Best Life Foundation, to support musicians battling cancer. Here's How Much I Feel. Great singer, great cause. David Pack and Ambrosia with How Much I Feel holding on at number three this week in 1978. Well, you've heard a lot of disco and a lot of soft rock. And now we come to the only rockin' tune in this top ten. And it's Foreigner. Vocalist Lou Graham has quite a story to tell about how they came up with Double Vision. But first, let's hear this week's number two hit. A lot of people think this is a drug song or a reference to drug use. It's not. These guys are hockey fans. And apparently when they were recording uh, the Double Vision album, uh, what would become the Double Vision album, didn't have a title yet, didn't have this song yet, they were watching a hockey game. They were watching their uh, their team, the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Rangers, and a guy bumped into the Rangers goalie, John Davidson, knocked him down. He had to come out of the game, and they heard the announcers say that Davidson would not be back on the ice because he was experiencing double vision. Lou Graham says, when we heard that, we knew that needed to be a song. And it's at its peak position of number two this week in 1978. Foreigner, the title track from the album Double Vision. Well, now we come to the song that's number one this week in 1978. Number one. And this song has a long history. MacArthur Park was written by American singer-songwriter Jimmy Webb. He wrote it for the association, but they rejected it. And then he met Richard Harris, the Broadway actor, at a party in Los Angeles, and Harris explained that he was looking for some contemporary music to record, and Jimmy Webb didn't take him seriously at first, but when Harris got in touch with him a second time and repeated the request, he gave him MacArthur Park. Well, now, fast forward to 1978, and Donna Summer is in the the peak of her uh, power and popularity, and her producer decides they'd like to do an older song, but remixed in disco form and that led to this week's number one song by donna summer macarthur park
fact, Giorgio Moroder, Donna's producer, said he was driving on the Hollywood freeway and he heard the Richard Harris version of MacArthur Park and it clicked with him. That's the song we're looking for. That's the oldie that we want to remake as a disco tune. He calls up the president of Casablanca Records to get a copy of the Richard Harris uh, song and had to buy an eight-track player on which to play it. So we're glad he did because it gave us this week's number one song. It would spend three weeks at number one, Donna Summer and MacArthur Park. It's like the uh, Wemby era is off to a uh, rough start for Greg Popovich. Have you seen this? The, the Spurs started out looking uh, halfway decent. They started the year, I think, 3-1 and one or 3-2. and two. They have now lost six games in a row, including a slaughter uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder the other night, uh, losing that uh, game by like 36 points. And now there are fans on social media demanding that Popovich be fired. And, you know, I have to say, um, we've obviously had our differences of opinion politically with Greg Popovich. We've talked about this a million times, and you've heard so many people say, and maybe you've even thought yourself, uh, why doesn't he just shut up and coach? But um, you can't fire him <laughs> because... Uh, if, if, if what is written about Wemby is to be believed, he wants to play for this guy and he believes that the Popovich culture is the perfect place for him to come and, and grow into his full potential in the NBA. In other words, um, the, the time to make that move would have been before they drafted Wemby, but now that they drafted Wemby, and I think they just gave him an extension, right? Didn't they just give Popovich an extension? Yeah, he's not hes not going anywhere. Wemby is his um, career insurance coaching the San Antonio Spurs. Anyway, that's my two cents worth. We'll kick that around. 608 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Lots to get into this hour on the Jack Riccardi Show. But earlier in our show this afternoon, we interviewed longtime Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. Uh, uh, if you missed that, I want you to have a chance to hear... Our conversation with Alan Dershowitz, here it is. We are joined now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line by, I'm going to say, whether it embarrasses him or not, I think one of our greatest living Americans. He's a longtime Harvard Law professor uh, and the author of a new book called War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism, which is what we're going to talk about right now with Alan Dershowitz. Professor, it's great to have you back. Uh, good afternoon to you. Well, thanks. You know, you may think well of me, but uh, be- after I defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate, um, <laughs> almost none of my friends have talked to me. The 92nd Street Y canceled me. Temple Emanuel canceled me. Uh, Harvard University hasn't allowed me to come back and yeah. speak. Uh, and make the case for Israel. You know, it's uh, as you know, Harvard University got ranked the worst 
university in the United States on free speech, and I can I can attest to that. So I appreciate your having me on. I, well, I think you've I think you uh, can wear those um, newly found opponents with uh, with with pride. I, <laughs> um, I by way of uh, setting up this question, I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, which I'm sure you know yep. uh, well. Sure. Um, so I had a lot of Jewish playmates and friends and neighbors all through my life. Um, I, I saw in the news this morning that uh, Hamas supporters were blocking traffic in Boston, blocking the bridges, blocking yeah. the the, yeah. the freeways. I saw where the city of North Andover, Massachusetts, which is a, a beautiful suburb of Boston, well. yeah. Yeah. is flying the Palestinian flag on the town common. What you, you mentioned, Harvard. I mean, what is going on? I don't. I don't recognize the place that I spent the first half of my life. What is going on up there? Well, first of all, this has nothing to do with a ceasefire. This has nothing to do with what's going on in Gaza. Absolutely nothing. How do I know that? Because it started on October eighth, before is, Israel fired a single shot. It the attack on the seventh, where we now know multiple women were raped, had their breasts cut off. Women were gang raped, handed from terrorist to terrorist. There's now video of all of that that uh, the Israeli government has has produced. It was on CNN just 15, 20 minutes ago. And and uh, organizations like the National Lawyers Guild, thousands of lawyers in every law school in the country praise these Hamas rapes and murders and kidnappings and burning of children and beheading of women. The National Lawyers Guild praised it, said it was a, a good, appropriate military action. Um, 33 groups at Harvard appraised and said, if anything was wrong, it was all Israel's fault. These are Hitler's youth. This is a modern variation of what happened in the 1930s when 100,000 Americans marched down 2nd Avenue in New York doing Heil Hitler and, and Hitler salutes when Oxford University pledged not to oppose Germany, mm -hmm. when Yale students said the same, when, when Harvard welcomed Nazis to the United States and sent a delegation to a university that has just fired, fired all of its Jewish professors. There's been an undercurrent of this kind of uh, anti-Israel uh, attitude. Now, for example, as this is all going on, there's a war going on in Darfur, where many, many more people have been murdered. Completely racial war. Nobody cares. There's not a single effort to get a ceasefire. But because it's Israel, it's nothing to do with the Palestinians. If the Palestinians were oppressed by the Turks or the Syrians or the Jordanians, as they had been, nobody would notice. But it's because they are allegedly oppressed by um, Israel, by the nation state of the Jewish people. That's where all the focus is. So this is pure, unmitigated anti-Semitism. You can disguise it as anti-Zionism. You can talk about ceasefires. If there were a ceasefire tomorrow, and if every single soldier from the IDF left and went home and surrendered to Hamas, these protests would still go on, because they're only about the nation-state of the well, Jewish people. And to, and to your point, I, I was just saying this before we brought you on, and to your point, before October 7th, there wasn't a single Israeli soldier in Gaza. There, there, right. there was a, there were two states. Israel pragmatically was permitting and and going along with that plan, thinking that was the best of a of a bunch of bad yeah. choices, tolerating the occasional rocket attack, putting up the Iron Dome, 
to, to hopefully uh, inhibit those. Att- I mean, so all the mm-hmm. stuff they claim should be the case was the case before October 7th. Except in the eyes of people like Barack Obama, who said that uh, the occupation was unbearable. Uh, well, if it was unbearable, it was not because of Israel. They didn't occupy Gaza. It was because of, of Hamas. And uh, Obama knows, because I know he's been there. You go to places in the West Bank, like Ramallah, the most beautiful city in all of Israel. Um, it's uh, the capital of the Palestinian Authority. It has beautiful restaurants. I've been there. I've had dinner with the prime minister, uh, met the, the, the uh, president of the Palestinian Authority, People drive Mercedes, they have Rolexes, they have uh, very high-tech stores. That's not an occupation. The places that are occupied are places like Janine, where are the heartland of terrorism, where they send people to kill Israelis. So, you know, what, what Israel is doing is what the United States did after the Second World War. They occupied Japan, they occupied Germany, until it had become denazified. And uh, Israel's fondest hope is that it is that Gaza becomes denazified? Today's Nazis, of course, are Hamas, um, but uh, it's not—it's not happening. Which is why, as I write in my book, uh, the um, uh, a war against the Jews. I actually started writing it on the day this happened, on October seventh. I put everything down and I wrote it in thirty days. Uh, three things have to happen for the world to be protected against terrorism, because otherwise it's coming here to the United States. Number one, Hamas has to be uh, defeated. Uh, number two, Iran has to be punished for this, and I think destroying their nuclear reactor would be the most appropriate punishment. Number three, the Saudis have to make peace with Israel and say to the to the uh, Hamas, you know, it didn't work. Yeah, we know you attacked Israel. In order to get Israel to attack you so that there would be a breakdown in the, communi- in the communications between um, Israel and, and, and Jordan, and that has to not be rewarded. So if those three things happen, uh, you know, the world will be safe in terrorism. Otherwise, it's coming here. And these kids from Harvard, you know, these these 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 25-year-olds, they're going to join the terrorists as they did in the 1970s when terrorists from the Weathermen were trying to blow up the University of Wisconsin, trying to blow up an, uh, an American, Air, American Army base at Fort Dix. We had terrorism, and we're going to see a renewal of 9-11, both people coming in through the pretty porous borders down south and people who are already here who are fifth columnists. So we're in for some terrorism. This is just a coming attraction. It's coming to a theater near you. How do we, uh, I I, I agree with your three conditions that must be met, but how do we deal with uh, a generation or generations that are both ignorant of the history and are sort of lemming-like following one another along this uh, pro-Hamas pathway, because, you know, you mentioned, like, the Oxford Union kids in England, but a few years later, they were fighting in the RAF, and they were, you know, uh, they they came to their senses uh, rather abruptly uh, through events. What happens this time? Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to know what happens. (laughs) There could be terrorism. Uh, Remember, these are the same kids who are on TikTok today glorifying Osama bin Laden's letter. It's become viral. Um, his letter to Americans in which she justifies terrorism. And uh, these kids are saying, you know, Osama bin Laden was right. So, you know, you scratch somebody who's anti-Israel just a little bit, and you find somebody who's anti-American, anti-the Judeo-Christian tradition, anti-Western democracies, 
And that's what's happening to our kids. You know, these demonstrations are led by groups called the Social Democrats of America. They're not Social Democrats. They're not Democrat-Socialists. They're Communists. Uh, they're hard left. The National Lawyers Guild was a Communist Front organization. And when Hitler made his pact with Stalin, the National Lawyers Guild, claiming to be left, supported Hitler. Uh, so, you know, these are people who have taken their views from foreign countries. Now they're taking their instructions from Iran, from China, from uh, still from Russia in some respects. And uh, uh, they are lemmings and they just mm. follow. And and you can't excuse them just because they're kids. Kids brought the Ayatollah Khomeini to power. Kids brought Stalin to power. Kids brought Hitler to power. Munich yeah. is where it started at the university. So you have to take these kids, my students at Harvard, very yeah. seriously. They are evil. They are not just misguided kids. They are evil people, and they are they are causing death. And you cannot give them a pass. If they were caught committing plagiarism, they would be thrown out of the school. They can't make an excuse saying, oh, we're only 25 years old or 22 years old. We're misguided. No. And what about the National Lawyers Guild? These are adults who are representing clients. Would you want to be represented by somebody who is a member of the Ku Klux Klan and who advocates the lynching of blacks? No. And that's what these people are advocating. Mm. They're advocating the lynching of Jews, the raping, the beheading. And I wouldn't want to be represented by one of them. I would never, ever urge one of my clients ever to get a lawyer from the National Lawyers Guild. Is there a, a lever or a leverage that, that can be brought against these universities to force them to do the right thing? You see a few glimmers yeah. of them starting to rethink, right? But but it's very few. Oh, they're not rethinking. They're just reacting to people who are cutting off their donations. Cutting off their but money, Yesterday, yeah. a, major law, a major law firm filed a lawsuit um, against um, a New York University, an 82-page lawsuit, which is very, very substantial. And, of course, the Secretary of Education has said they cut off funding from schools that uh, discriminate against Jews. So something's being done, and it's about time universities react. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it out of concern to their pocketbook and their endowments. I think you mentioned Barack Obama. You, you, you have a long history with, with him. What is your relationship with him now? Very negative. Uh, I have a long history with him. I think he's an utter hypocrite. And uh, after these events of October 7th, he basically compared, on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, these rapes, murders, and, uh, and kidnappings to Israel's occupation of the Gaza. But there's no occupation of the Gaza. It ended in 2005. And uh, he made a disgusting comparison. So I've broken off my relationship with him. Uh, John Podoritz, I don't know if you know who he is, editor at sure, Commentary Magazine, conservative writer. Sure. He just got booted off of X for basically saying that mainstream uh, journalists, in quotes, are carrying water for Hamas. He's right, isn't he's he? Right. He's right. He's 100% right. I've said that. Let him boot me off, too. Because I've said that you couldn't have this, what they call, they call themselves the CNN strategy. You kill Jews in Israel. Then Israel has to try to stop the rockets and the terrorists in the tunnels. It, you plant these um, terrorists among civilians. And inevitably, some civilians will die, and they count on the media showing the pictures of the dead babies without explaining that every one of those dead babies is the legal, moral, political responsibility of Hamas. So uh, you're, he's absolutely right that uh, the media is largely responsible for the 
repetition of this CNN strategy or this dead baby strategy, which will recur over and over again. Hamas's motto is wash, rinse, repeat. And they've already said they're going to do it again. They said October yeah. 7th will become October 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th. And it's true. And that's why a call for a ceasefire will actually cause more deaths than continuing the fighting will. If Israel is allowed to destroy Hamas, that will save lives. You know, gr- growing up with a lot of Jewish friends and, and, and celebrating their holidays and having them celebrate yeah. my holidays as a Catholic, and we had the, we had school holidays on the high holidays and all this, I never thought I would see a time when we would be telling young Jewish boys and girls to not wear the yarmulke. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, 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 what would you say about that? Well, it's so interesting. About 10 years ago, I was invited to speak at the French National Assembly, and that was the time of very heightened anti-Semitism. So I decided I would wear a kippah, I would wear a yarmulke, just to show I wasn't afraid. The chief rabbi called me the next day and said, you did a terrible thing. I said, why? He said, well, you're going to be able to go home tomorrow, but my congregants, if they wear a yarmulke, they're going to get beaten up. So you should not tell them to do that. And he was 100% right, and I've never done it again. Um, Look, when I came to Harvard, my first civil liberties issue was to attack Harvard for being anti-Catholic. Uh, at the time I came in 64, if you were an ethnic Catholic, um, Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic, you could not uh, get a job there. You could not be treated equally. Um, law firms wouldn't hire you except Catholic law firms. There was a segregated system. And so, you know, Jews and Catholics have worked together for a long time because different periods of time, we were both subject to rampant discrimination. And, uh, you know, I thought it was over. And I, I hope it is, but uh, it's reared its ugly head again. Do you think uh, Jewish Americans should hide their identity or wear it proudly? No, 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 no. I go out every single day wearing an I support uh, Israel button. I wear a tie that has the Hebrew letters high. I re- I'm, a, I'm too old to be scared. I'm 85 years old. So um, I'm going to continue to do that and continue to proudly assert uh, my Jewish identity, and um, and encourage others to do it as well. I understand if you don't want to, but um, I think showing bravery in the face of um, this kind of hatred is 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 essential, and and not not hiding your identity. Yeah, yeah, well said. Well, look, uh, it's been an honor to share this time with you. I wish you good luck with the new book, War Against the Jews: How to End Hamas Barbarism. Professor Alan Dershowitz, thank you. I was listening to. Uh, somewhere this afternoon, maybe it was on Fox, I don't know, uh, they were debating, um, I thought this was interesting, somebody was debating, you know, there's been a number of violent protests involving pro-Hamas, anti-Israel crowds, and in Washington, several police officers were injured. Of course, there's been injury to bystanders and counter-protesters and property and and somebody was comparing it to January 6th. And what they, what they were trying to do was make the argument that if you are going to be aggressive in the prosecution of January 6th, uh, participants, right? Like, you, you know, we had, we had roundups and nationwide, you know, manhunts and, um, bolos and, uh, pretrial detention and, uh, you know, all, you know, a, a fairly robust 
and very serious prosecution of and pursuit of the J6 miscreants, right? No doubt about that. Then why would you not also, and with equal vigor, go after the violent pro-Hamas, anti-Israeli protesters? And, and I, I see where they were trying to go with that, but I find that comparison offensive. I really do. Look, I don't approve of what people did in terms of breaking into the Capitol or damaging or vandalizing property. People should not have done that. That is not comparable to protesting on behalf of Hamas and against Israel. That is not comparable. For one thing, January 6th was the only event of its kind. So it happened in one place on one day. The uh, Hamas house parties are, I believe, clearly, you'd have to be very naive not to think they are not connected. They are not part of a conspiracy. They are not funded and organized from some central means. They have been going on for weeks. You can't compare something that happened once for an afternoon to something that is highly coordinated and uh, choreographed. You also cannot compare people who were reacting to an American election to people that are advocating for the genocidal elimination of Jews. I mean, you have got to be kidding me. I mean, just because two things are bad doesn't mean they're equally bad or bad in the same ways. And there's there's no way that comparison works beyond just maybe a surface examination of it. But when you start thinking about it, and again, I know whoever was saying it, it was somebody I think on Fox, I, I think they meant well, but no, I'm not buying that. The The... And you're not even seeing, I mean, I have not seen one news conference, I have not heard one announcement from the FBI, the Department of Justice. Um, I've not heard anything to the effect of, we view this gravely, and this is serious, and we are going to find every single person that assaulted a police officer, or a Jewish person, or tore something down, or damaged... you're not, they're not saying that. But after J6, they talked like they were, um, you know, going after, uh, you know, organized crime or something, you know. And yet J6 was the antithesis of organized. The whole problem with J6 was this was a bunch of very confused and misled people, very misled, and maybe intentionally misled in some cases by the, um, you know, the the plants and the, the operatives that were in there, but 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 given that nonetheless, this is essentially a racket. This is a grift, what's going on right now. Okay, large amounts of money, large amounts of coordination. This cries out for the kind of crackdown that the DOJ was so splashy about in January of 2021. Anyway, thoughts on that coming up.
going to play the uh, Jack Chat calls here coming up. We really need a sponsor for Jack Chat. I'm going to rattle the cage of our KTSA account executives. It's time we had a sponsor for, for uh, Jack Chat. Anyway, um, and uh, this half hour we'll also have the results on today's River City Oral Surgery JR poll. I was just uh, thinking back to when we had the uh, interview with Alan Dershowitz. I was I was surprised when he said he was eighty five. I just I didn't. I mean, he, he'd have to be right. He's he's been around forever, but I, I he really he sounds great for eighty five, and he just is one of those people you just you wouldn't guess watching him and looking at him and listening to him. But good for him. And you know what else I noticed? I and I think this is something I can relate to. I'm not eighty five yet, but. Um, he, the filter is definitely coming off. The older he gets, the older all of us get, right? I don't know if it's partly that you've got more stuff figured out. I'm sure that's part of it. But also, and I, everyone I've ever talked to says this, everyone we've ever had this conversation with says this, as you get older, you just are less filtered. You just are letting it fly. You're like, i got to just say what I think. Well, he Let did. the chips fall where they may. And he... Didn't he sound like he's just not holding anything back? Not not only that, he did actually in the interview say, you know, I'm too old to worry about what people think right. anymore. Right. You know? Amen to that. That should be a T-shirt. I'd wear that T-shirt. Um, all right, let's see what we have. Uh, 210-599-5550 is the number for Jack Chat. Let's listen in. Hey, Jack, it's John down in the Rio Grande Valley. Just got to say, I lo- just got through listening to your podcast on tuesday show and the young poor lady that freaking out about having to work for food and stuff i got such a good laugh out of that i I gotta tell you every time you played it i just laughed uh it was a great break for the day and then the accidental um florist that was just icing on the take cake (laughs) so (laughs) great show enjoyed it uh nice to be able to laugh everyone while every once in a while have a good day all right. Well, thank you, John. And we, we, we got a good laugh out of the accidental florist, too. All right. Next up on the Jack Chat. Hi, this is Jim from Virginia Beach, Virginia. They're constantly citing the Hamas health ministry. That's like calling, you know, like quoting Dr. Mengele as for what's going on in the health situation. I mean, we don't even trust the hmm. CDC in America anymore. But now you're supposed to believe what the health ministry of Hamas says. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, I'm watching people in the media, and they report the Hamas health ministry or the Gaza health ministry like that's a real thing. Um, but then at the same time that they are agreeing that Israel is an occupier and is colonializing, they're saying Hamas health ministry. And, you know, even like the coverage of the Chinese president. China has concentration camps. China's a colonial power. China's occupying foreign territory and threatening more. So there's no consistency at all on their side. I'd hate to be on their side. Because not only do they make no sense in and of themselves, but there's no consistency to any of what they say. All right, let's see what's next. Hey, Jack, this is Teresa in San Antonio. I'd be interested in hearing from your listeners on which Republican they think can win, not the primary, but could win the general election. Thanks. Bye. That was her suggestion for a poll question, and that's the one we use today. We'll have results on that coming up here in a few minutes. Next on the Jack Chat. Hey, Jack, this is Alan from Spring Branch. I was listening to your show today about the uh, 
elected officials out in California. And I kind of wonder across the country who's running for office. Because back in the founders' days, you know, like the people that ran for office, like these were kind of the uh, the smartest and the brightest and you know, people who you know, really stood up for the country. Today, it just seems like, you know, it's just, I mean, who's running anymore? I think I think our best and our brightest, you know, don't want to get involved in government that the because of the things that, uh, that that happened to them, like all the, you know, this this side against that side, and going after them if they believe in a certain way. But I think we we no longer get our best and brightest, and we're left with uh, the people that are left. And the people that are left, you know, it could be like someone who just made a big, uh, maybe they're a good person, maybe they're not a good person, but if they happen to make a big, let's say, you know, scene at a, a parent-teacher's meeting, and all of a sudden, well, they become the Republican nominee, or if they, you know, they're some bartender in New York that has some crazy views, well, they become the Democratic, you know, uh, Congressman, lady, senator. It's just we're just not getting that great of people anymore. I think it's just the whole, the whole symptom of the whole process. How broken down it really is. Mm. I, I guess to Alan's point, I guess if you think about it, you. You kind of have to have a following already to be a political candidate. Like, you, you can't come from obscurity. You have to already have renown or fame or infamy. And, and to, to get that, oftentimes you have to have done crazy or outlandish things or said outlandish things. So, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, our system kind of rewards that. I think that's how we get some of the numbskulls and ne'er-do-wells that, that, that populate the news every day. And yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. People have been saying for years, the kind of people the founders envisioned would never want to go anywhere near the process that is required to get into office. So I agree. All right, one more on the Jack Chat. Jack, I just love what you're doing for our country. You speak slow enough so everybody can understand you. You don't get angry like a lot of talk show hosts. You're you're so eloquent. I love your language. But I got to correct you on one thing. You said, um, I think it was like on the 13th or the 14th, that no other politician could draw a crowd like Trump. And I'm I don't agree at a you know at a sporting event. I think Brandon. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Biden. I think he could draw a hell of a response from the crowd. A heck of a response. Excuse me. Um, you know, if he just went to a NASCAR race, I think he could do that. Anyway, thank you so much, and uh, you take care, okay? I, I admire you. Thanks. Henry Lyon, St. Joe, Michigan. Hmm. All right. Thank you, Henry. Um, <laughs> I, it, actually, when I first heard that, I didn't get it at first, and then I got that's where Let's Go Brandon mm-hmm. came from. So yeah. nicely played, Henry. Right. Appreciate that. You don't get angry. Yeah. <laughs> Henry, if you're listening, you're, you don't have to work with him. You know, so. All right. Yeah. Since you mention it, I will come clean. I do get angry. I get I get furious, and I um I think it's even happened on the air. I don't think I've I don't really think I've concealed that. Um, but I'll take the other ones. They're, the other the other uh, I'll take the I I think I deserve some of that praise, but not the part about never getting angry. He's an angry. Uh, elf. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> an angry elf. All right, on the JR poll, and thank you, uh, Teresa, for suggesting it. Who would be most likely to win 
the general election among the Republican candidates. Uh, Fox News poll says that uh, any one of the top three are beating Biden head-to-head. Uh, the top three in their poll are Trump, DeSantis, and Haley. So when we asked you who would be most likely to win a general election, the results were Donald Trump, 57%, Ron DeSantis, 27%, Nikki Haley, 8%, and Vivek Ramaswamy, 8%. And we'll have a new JR poll question tomorrow. We get started live at 4. Find our show as a podcast anytime at ktsa.com or anywhere you like to get your podcasts. And we're going to leave you tonight with this week's number one song from 1978, as counted down earlier. We leave you tonight with Donna Summer and MacArthur Park. Spring was never waiting for us, dear. It ran one step ahead as we followed him the dance. Thank you.